So my name is Michael, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Michael. And uh, I want to thank Ransom for uh, for asking me to come here. I have not been to this in-person meeting since uh, before the pandemic, and um, and um, and it feels good to be here. It feels weird in a way because, but the meeting was kind of you know it ebbed and flowed and everything. But it's nice to see people in person. It really is, and. Um, so again, Ransom, thank you for, for letting me come here uh, this morning. Um, so I came to you a long time ago when Jack was still young. And, um, and uh, it's weird how we met up again because Jack and I actually went to Hebrew school together when we were, what, 11, 12 years old. And Jack was huge. He was big. And, uh, and wrestling was very famous at the time. And there was Dick Lane in the Olympic Auditorium. And we would just, we didn't, I didn't want to be in Hebrew school. I didn't, I, you know, after, it's hard enough just to be in regular school. And we would talk about, I don't know, what was there a liquor store or some kind of food store and talk about food. But I was a skinny guy. I was a little skinny kid. And, um, and you know, Jack would, our perceptions are a little different. You know, Jack, even though he was big, I knew he was a wussy inside. He's a wimp. He was a wimp. And he thinks that he used to sit on me and I'd go, no, no, no. But uh, anyway, whatever. We knew each other. And, uh, and we knew each other when, long before the, you know, we knew recovery. And uh, in, uh, in OA, we went to a, some kind of a swimming party or something and we recognized each other. And so we've been spiritually connected ever since, even in those crazy days in Hebrew school. So it's good to see you. And um, um, so I got clean and sober in the early 80s. I came, uh, uh, I had a bad, bad drug and alcohol problem. And, uh, and, um, and I, got, I got a year sober and I, I had a three pack a day cigarette habit. And I couldn't stop smoking cigarettes. And I bitch about it in, in AA meetings. And the old timers told me to shut up. You know, all they cared about was I didn't drink. And, uh, and I felt very offended because I thought I, you could say anything in a meeting. But, um, but you couldn't in this AA meeting. And somebody said, why don't you go to Nicotine Anonymous? And um, so I went to Nicotine. It was called Smokers Anonymous in those days. And there's one guy in Hollywood, I'll never forget him. And he sat there and he talked about himself for an hour. What he was like, what happened, and how he's now he's not smoking anymore. He said, I'll see you next week. And I came back next week, and it took about six weeks in, in retrospect, I think about six weeks, for the three-pack-a-day cigarette habit to be removed. And it was, it was miraculous. And, and the guy shortly after says, I nominate you as secretary, and he gave me a big book. And many times I would just stand there and come show up with a big book, and nobody would show up. But I had the willingness to be willing to do a little bit of work so that God could, you know, remove my obsession. And um, so I went back to AA because I had gained 30 pounds in 30 days after I discussed And I said, what do I do? This haagen and pizza and eggnog shakes. And the old timer said, what's wrong with you? Don't you understand? We don't talk. I said, okay, I'm not, don't offend me. I'm sensitive. And, uh, and I came to you guys. And I'm sure Jack was at one of those meetings and Richie was there and all the, you know, I get so crazy when people say, uh, oh, I stand on the shoulders of giants in this program. I would hate to think Jack is a fucking giant. Excuse me, I'm sorry. For but, but it's true. The people that came before me that know the, um, 
the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization of this disease, as Jack did, because the physical manifestation of the disease was very apparent even at, at a young age. It wasn't apparent for me, but we both felt, I believe, I don't know, I think you felt as the spilchas. You know what spilchas are? The spring inside. That you guys know how to do it and I don't. You know what I mean? And I don't want you guys to know that I don't know how to do it. So a pizza tastes good, you know, at that time. And um, so anyway, I came to you guys and I tried to do it myself and I kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I finally said, my name is Michael. That took about a year. I'm a compulsive eater and uh, I need help. I don't know how to do this. I hate to ask for help. Even today, I don't want people to think, see how stupid I am. And they know. And, and you're not stupid. You know, the, te- the good teachers would say, there's no stupid question. And they said, well, they don't know my questions. Because <laughs> I don't believe it. I just believe, Bill probably relates to this. I hate to name drop it. I believe that I'm the worst speaker in the world, you know, and that I'm just going to mess up and why don't you want to deal with it? I don't want to deal with it. So the way I dealt with it was um, food. And um, so, uh, I is that the timer? Yeah. Oh, the timer is late. I love it. This is my kind of meeting. My kind of meeting. My old sponsor, may he rest in peace, would say, is our starting time inconvenient for you? Anyway, you know. So, so anyway, Richie, who was well, lost well over 100 pounds from New York, he was an actor, and... Um, he took on my case. No, it wasn't Richie. It was Matt. Matt M. May he rest in peace. And, uh, and he knew the big book and he told me to call him and he asked me what I was going to eat. And that scared the hell out of me because I didn't want to know what I was eating. And I was killing myself, anesthetizing myself with food. And he was very kind and he said, well, why don't you call me and just let me know what you ate. And so it started with me eating and maybe in those days it was three meals a day, nothing in between. Uh, A lot of you didn't eat uh, recreational sugar. A lot of you didn't eat flour. So I had that kind of foundation. And I started calling Matt and I started to trust him. And it's very embarrassing to tell people the exact nature of your food on a daily basis. I know that even for me still, because when my sponsor goes out of town, which he now lives in Mexico part-time, but thank God for cell phones. It's very hard to, uh, to a stranger, but we're not strangers, you know? But you just don't necessarily want the people to see, you know, me at my most vulnerable. So anyway, Matt got me on track, and I started calling in my food, and the weight dissipated, and I, and I came to you guys, and I started enjoying the fruits of abstinence. And, um, and then um, I got... Um, into uh, my mother was uh, diagnosed as a schizophrenic in the early 50s and uh, she uh, she had a lot of um, suicide attempts and she had a lobotomy in those days they had an operation that they cut the part of your brain that they thought was disease very unhappy unhappy lady may she rest in peace God took her when she was maybe 43 44 years old uh, going to get a pack of cigarettes at Cam- Camarillo State Hospital and all the shock treatments and all this stuff so Anyway, when I came here, I, I remember when they were lowering it, her in the, to the grave and my dad asked the rabbi, Rabbi, what was the point of my wife's life? You know, she suffered. And the, um, the answer the rabbi gave was, sometimes we don't know what God's will is. We, we can't understand it. 
And uh, before I came to program, uh, that pissed me off because that was not the answer that I, that, I, that I... But the God of my understanding, after taking inventory, allows me to know, well, what was the point of Betty's life? It might be a little self-centered, but I'm here. I'm here, 70 years old, clean, sober, and abstinent, and I have four children. I'm an only child because my parents couldn't have children after they had me. So I've, I've got... I've, it's been a fertile abstinence, let me tell you. I got four kids, and I got three grandchildren, and my oldest child is 14 years clean and sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, and is living the life that the 12 steps promises us. Now, my other three, you know, they're hopefully with the traditions and the preservation of this program and, and Alcoholics Anonymous, there's, there's room for them as well. So it's not just about me anymore. And... Um, you know, people say, somebody said, oh, you look so dapper, you know, you're so dressed up. In the group, the, the structured and disciplined group that I'm a part of, they say that if you're going to speak at a meeting and you're speaking at a meeting that, that is saving your life, it, you know, it's kind of nice to dress up and to, and to um, represent the meeting in that, in that respect. Now, there's a guy, I'm, I know I'm going all over the place, but I go to a men's stag on Friday night, and there's a guy that's in and out of program, and he's just, he's just pathetic. He's very, very sad. And he, he shared and said, you know, I'm wearing a nice shirt, but I'm dying inside. I'm dying inside and this outside and, and, and the guy in the program says you know what it's not an outside job it's an inside job so I don't care if I put on a coat and tie it's going to make me feel better and it, you know maybe feel a little bit better and it's going to represent the program but if I'm not working the 12 steps and being honest with somebody about all the Michigas that goes on in my head on a daily basis and, 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 and get that out so that God can come in and remove the need to anesthetize myself with food and can give me a good life. If I'm not doing that, I'm dying on the inside. And, uh, and today I feel pretty alive and pretty grateful. So um, anyway, I, uh, I've got a, um, I went to therapy and I, and I went away from you guys very slowly. I stopped calling my sponsor. I stopped going to meetings. I didn't have any commitments at any meetings. And uh, in the early 80s, late 80s, you know, if you had a teddy bear, you know, that was the fashion, you know, because you wanted to nurture your inner child. And uh, my grandmother raised me, you know, when my parents were in and out of hospitals and stuff. And I hated my grandmother because she told me what to do, much like my first AA sponsor did. And Richie. He told me what to do, and I don't want to be told what to do. I'm, my grandmother would say, you're too independent, God damn it. And I thought, what does she mean about that? It's nice to be independent, isn't it? You know, but she told me to go to bed at 8.30. I don't want to. I want to watch TV. Told me to clean the hairs out of the sink. I don't want to. She'll yell at me, but she'll clean the hairs. You know, let her yell all she wants to. Clean the friggin' hairs. I'm not going to do it. And uh, so that's the attitude that I came to you with. And I still have that attitude as well. So... Um, Anyway, so my grandmother raised me, and then through inventory, I know that my grandmother was born in Poland, and they had pogroms, and she married an alcoholic, and the alcoholic was unreliable, and, and her son, my Uncle Danny, may he rest in peace, decided to come out of the closet in the early 60s and tell everybody he was gay. And we all knew he was gay, anyway, but when he came out heroically and decided to tell people, everybody said, we don't want to talk to you, we don't want anything to do with you. And a week later, he had killed himself, overdosed with uh, 30 years old, 
30 years old. So my grandmother had to live with that. And then her other son, my father, married a schizophrenic, right? And, you know, my dad's in and out of the hospital with the physical manifestations of alcoholism as well. Her husband's nowhere to be found, going all over the country, you know. And so, so, and then so she took on my case, you know, since I was, what, five, six years old. And uh, she fed me, she clothed me. Best thing is she cooked for me, Chad. She was the best friggin' cook. I mean, if I want to be resentful against me, you rest in peace, Grandma. Uh, there's never been anybody to eat. Maybe people in your family cooked as good as my grandmother. But, uh, but, then, but then, you know, I stop going. And if I feel um, down in a meeting, you know, the old timers say, you know, go to this guy or go to this girl. You know, look at, help somebody else. Get out of your self-obsession. And, um, but I wasn't coming to you guys. So when I went to therapy, they said, Michael, get introspective. You know, you don't like your grand. Your grandmother was an octopus. She had these tentacles about, take a tennis racket and beat them. Oh, I can get into that really, really good. But I didn't have any steps. I didn't have any way of getting closer to a higher power. And my anger and my rage just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And lo and behold, I was out again. I started, in my other program, I started popping pills. Now, if I'm drinking or using in my other program, uh, I'm not abstinent. I don't give a shit about what I eat if I'm not clean and, clean and sober. So, um, so for four months, I was, uh, I was out there and things got ugly and I couldn't pay rent and I quit my job. And, and it's, I don't know if you're abstinent and you start getting into your Michigas and you start keeping secrets and the world gets ugly again, and it gets really, really scary, and you find that your food's getting a little bit uh, heavier and something, you don't want to talk about it because you'll deal with it tomorrow. Well, that's kind of where I was when I just uh, went to a meeting and uh, that I knew Dr. Paul was going to be at. Dr. Paul's in the big book, and he wrote the story on acceptance. And he was very accessible to us, and he lived in Laguna Beach, and I, and I heard him speak. And he said something that kind of changed the course of my life that day. He said, never in my 20-some-odd years of sobriety um, have I had a problem to which the 12 steps did not offer me a solution. And I was so far away from the 12 steps at that time, but I knew in my soul that what he said was correct for me. Um, but I was too afraid to ask him for his phone number. So I asked his wife, Max, who was sitting in the front row for his phone number. And I started to call him on a, on a fairly consistent basis. And, um, and he really sort of helped me get back into the program. And uh, what I had done is uh, I didn't change my date, my abstinence date or my sobriety date. But I heard people in the meetings talking about how they abused pills and they got doctors to prescribe pills and do all this stuff. So I realized that I was doing that. So even though I was claiming uh, eight years at the time, um, I went and I said, you know what, I think I'm going to change my, my abstinence day, my sobriety day. And uh, when I went to my sponsor at the time, he said, well, I, I think that's a good idea. So I gave up, you know, and I started fresh. And uh, I started in this structured and disciplined group that, that believes you only have one sponsor. And um, because what I used to do is uh, run my ideas by everybody. And the one that agreed with me, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> take that idea. And um, so anyway, this group believes in one sponsor. 
And then when I knew that I had started over in AA, I went to my sponsor in AA. I said, you know what? I want to go back to, to OA because I'm really hungry and uh, you don't have that problem, the food addiction. And, and I know in, in OA you've got to have a sponsor and we believe in one sponsor. He says, kid, I don't have that addiction. You're right. And you've got to have a sponsor in any 12-step program. Go back to, to OA. And I went back to OA and that's when I got Richie to be my sponsor. And uh, I took a, a, a fifth step with Richie and I got all this garbage out, you know, that had built up and all this resentment. And it took us three days to get through the fifth step. And because it took him three days with whoever listened to him. And um, we, we broke for food, though, by the way. And, uh, so, and um, so anyway, I'm a, I'm a Klingon when it comes to sponsors because it's too hard to get another one. And, and I'm not, I don't trust that easily. So when Richie met somebody in the program who was like the president of the Food Network, what a wonderful person to get married to. He got married to her and they moved to like North Carolina and they had a house. And, and I started calling him for a while. And he said, why don't you get somebody, you know, who's local? So give me a reprieve. <laughs> he used to say that too, you know, because I call him every day. And on the weekends, you know, he said, give me a reprieve on the weekends. So what I did on the weekends was started calling Jack's uh, sponsor, Carl. And I was just starting my teaching career in those days. It was a while ago. And I called from the Beverly Hills Library because I couldn't, I couldn't make my lessons in the apartment that we lived in because my kids were all over the place. And, and, and I'd leave a message on the machine, well, I'm going to eat a kuguru chicken and this is what I'm going to eat. And then Carl says, you know what, you don't have to just um, leave your food. What's going on? You can talk about what your feelings are. Shit, Carl, I can't concentrate and I've got to make these lessons and this and this and this. And, you know, he was kind enough to let me do that on the weekends. And uh, it's been 27 years, if they don't find me out, that I have had a, uh, a teaching career. And, um, and I'm at the age of retirement right now, and I think financially I would be able to do it. But program has kicked in and tells me, I don't want to do it. What? What are you talking about? I'm around young people. I see 600 kids every week. Uh, they keep me alive. They keep me vibrant. They keep my brain going. Not as fast as Jack's, but I've got to tell you. And, um, and so, you know, a day at a time, as long as I'm physically healthy, um, I think, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm going to retire. I don't think I want to retire. And that's crazy because I never had a full-time job until I was 43 years old. And I lived off, I was self-supporting through my ex-wife's contribution. <laughs> I, I want people to take care of me. And my, my current wife got outsourced 14 years ago and said, Michael, I ain't going to work anymore. I've worked 34 years. And I said, what the F? I'm allowed, and so I'm the sole breadwinner. And I got to tell you, it feels good uh, when I'm not tired, when I'm not hungry, when I'm not angry, when I'm not alone. It feels good to be financially not only self-supporting but supporting my family. LA Unified's got a great insurance program, so God is really taking care of us. And uh, and I always see it in retrospect, you know, when I'm going through the fear. Oh my God! And Carol now, uh, Jack is my. Uh, my OA brother, and I've had Carol for 
seems like decades, probably seems like too long to him. But, uh, and he's supposed to be here, and maybe he'll get the tape, maybe he won't. He went skiing, and he just had a knee replacement or something like that, and the guy's skiing. And he's almost as old as I am. And uh, he has maintained a, a, a healthy abstinence, and, and he wants, you know, what, what, he has what I want. You know what I mean? He's been doing this for a long, long time. So we don't do it perfectly. We do it very, very imperfectly. I screw up on a daily basis. But uh, I don't want to anesthetize myself with food anymore. I know that that's not the answer. And just knowing it intellectually is not enough. I've got to come here. I've got to get some kind of conscious contact with you. I've got to laugh, you know, and not take myself so damn seriously. And uh, in retrospect, see the wonderful life that God has plans for for, I believe, all of us, because I come from a dark, dark history and a dark place, and it doesn't have to be that way. So, thank you for letting me share, and uh, let's see what's next on the agenda. Let's see, after the seventh, um, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And please remind me if I, I usually don't restate the question, I usually forget, but, uh, but I'm going to try to do that this time. And then um, questions will end at 9.50. And uh, I'll get a five-minute warning as well. Okay. So, yes, the pretty lady in the back. Hi. Um, So, you said when the rabbi said sometimes you don't know, you either said you didn't accept that or were angry. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you do now? When I don't know? When you don't know, you get angry. Okay. So, like my son, I have a younger son who's 23 years old. And two and a half years ago, uh, he uh, had a psychotic break. And uh, he was diagnosed uh, officially with schizophrenia. And, uh, and, uh, and I thought, oh my God, here, here we go again. And, uh, and, I went, uh, and I went, I just had a meltdown. I, they locked him up at UCLA. He was a part of the program there. And uh, he's taking some medication for his schizophrenia and everything. He's a brilliant guy. He got a scholarship to uh, Bennington College uh, back east, and um, and and he cut off communication there, and he was failing, and we had to go down. Me and his sister, we went down and we picked him up and we brought him back so that he could be safe in treatment. So I got angry, and I did not believe in God, and I all the things that I felt before program, I felt without anesthetizing myself, and I wrote, you son of a bitch, God, and I just, God allowed me to be angry, you know, and um, it didn't punish me, and um, Nikki is safe, and he's, um, and he's getting better, and the drugs that they have, and the treatment they have for schizophrenia in this time is much better than they had in the early 50s, and uh, So, yeah, no, I still, you know, I am allowed to get angry at God and to not understand. And God, you know, but I I have to let it out. I have to let you guys know what's going on. It's certainly a sponsor. And God comes in and calms me down. Now, I'm thinking, now my head is saying, yeah, but what if he didn't recover? What if he wasn't safe? What if he killed himself? And that's my head. 
And I tell that to my sponsor. And, yeah, is he safe right now? So that's kind of how the anger dissipates. And the, 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 the faith in a God that I really don't understand, but I don't have to understand. I just have to uh, try to stay calm and, and uh, rule 62 and enjoy life. Why don't they say trudge the road? Can't we skip the road of happy destiny? Because <laughs> <laughs> they know who we are. That's what. Jack. Thank you, Michael. I never ask questions, but I had a situation this week, and I wanted to ask how you handled it. Um, I acted out in anger, interpersonally. That question was about inside stuff. Interpersonally. And I cleaned it up really, really, really fast. But what do you do, and how, how do you do yourself uh, when you have a honest think out of a uh, spirituality uh, experience? Over and above. To repair So, so when I, <laughs> it happens all the time with my wife. The question was, how do you handle it uh, when you have anger on the inside and you handle it right on the outside? But the how do you deal with the inside wound? Well, you handle, you handle it right on the outside after you handle it wrong. Oh, right. So you I didn't so here's what happens. So you know, I sponsored a lot of guys in uh, in my pri- in my AA program that asked for help in OA. Okay, and uh, so the other day uh, we have something called the party line. Uh, and we call uh, for a half an hour while we're driving to work, and we read spiritual material and we kibitz and we pray together and stuff. But I. I get stuff mixed up. So I sponsored this guy in OA, and he told me about his AA uh, brother that wasn't paying attention in a meeting. Okay? And so I went to that guy, and I said, I heard you weren't paying attention in a meeting. He said, who told you that? I'm not going to say the name, so-and-so. And I said, well, yeah, how did you know? He said, because he's the only guy that calls you that's my AA brother. I said, oh, damn. And then I went and I told the guy that ratted him out that I ratted him out. And, and the guy said, well, why did you do that? And right away I knew I messed up. But I didn't have the gall to say anything. I didn't want to do it. And, you know, your head rationalizes. What do you mean? He's, he, I sponsor him. He shouldn't be doing that. So, so he says, well, I don't think I'm going to tell you, any, you know, that anymore. And I thought... I'm sponsoring this guy. This guy's going to keep secrets from me. I may have destroyed a horrible, a, a long-time relationship. And, uh, and I don't want to do that. So I called my Al-Anon sponsor. <laughs> and um, he told me that, yeah, perhaps you want to owe an amends. I, I said what I want to do to clean it up. You know, I messed up. And it's not a good idea if, if your sponsor doesn't want to tell you a secret. And I hope it doesn't violate the trust that we have together. I'm going to try not to repeat that behavior again. Something like that. But then he said, don't, don't you call. What the hell? Lost keys. Does anybody have a tile? No, I'm sorry. This, okay. Um, so anyway, it's, I'm kind of working through it now. So anyway, I don't think he's ever going to call me again. But he called me yesterday 
And I didn't get the phone, didn't ring, right? So I know he's going to call me again, but my Alan's boss says, just wait till he calls you, and then you can make the amends. Otherwise, you're trying to control the situation. And I can try to control all my sponsees, all the time. And so, anyway, so it's sloppy, and that's how I'm, that's a, the most recent way that I'm trying to clean it up. You probably cleaned it up quicker than I did. You're always doing stuff better than me, Jack. But I don't compare. I don't compare. Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Lou. I'm a philosopher. Hi, Lou. Karen has uh, listened to podcasts religiously, and she's heard me many, many times. And she's heard me listen for a real treatment. I was. Great job. Thank, thank, you. thank you. You said something in, in one of the responses to one of your questions just a few minutes ago, and it was almost like a little throwaway line. I don't know if anybody heard it, but I heard it, and I've heard the reference before. Would you please explain for us? Rule 62. Okay. So, one to explain Rule 62, and I believe it's in the AA 12 and 12. And it's from one of the traditions. And basically, what it means is don't take yourself so goddamn seriously. And that's Rule 62. And somewhere, if you Google it, you can find out how it is. Yeah, but the main thing is that, you know, when I'm in my self obsession, which is more times than I want to be, uh, if I need to breathe, I need to relax. Dr. Paul used to say, say acceptance is the answer to all my problems. So how can you accept something when you're holding on? And in order to accept something, uh, you've got to surrender. Well, how do you relax when you're in your Mishikanas? Well, Paul had a version of the serenity prayer that I, I have to ask my higher power for everything. I do not want to do my higher power's will a lot of the time. And i got to ask for the desire to do his will. You know, even if it's just a little contrary action. So anyway, his version of the serenity prayer was, God, grant me the serenity to calmly accept the things I cannot change. So I ask God for calmness. The courage to change my attitude and my actions. And now my motivation. Because when I'm motivated by fear, I'm in trouble. So change the fear to love God. Help me see the, the, the positive stuff. And the wisdom to enjoy the ride. And that's where the Rule 62 comes in. You know, Take yourself so damn seriously. Enjoy the ride. Because when I mess up, Jack, and why are you on the phone when I'm espousing words of wisdom? Charlie's on the phone. I'm ratting him out. Listen, Jack. So what, I'm, what I was saying, now, see, now I forgot. You made me forget, Jack. It's all your fault. Um... Um, yeah, so when I'm in the fear, um, I, I'm in trouble. So I kind of have to pause, ask God for help, and then just take a little teeny baby step. I don't want to do lesson plans. I'm a teacher, for Christ's sake, and I hate, I have horrible study habits. And I'm telling a guy that I sponsor that I've got a career for 27 years that God has nudged me very gently along. And I think I'm pretty good at what I do, right? But I just... I call, call Peter or call one of you guys. I've, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm going to set my clock for a half an hour. I'm going to say the third step prayer. And I'm going to do a little lesson planning. And so I move slowly, you know, towards God. And with a long, long-ass answer to your simple question. Yes. Thank you so much, Um What do you do every day that that reminds you of the things you need to be remembering because you know they say you're we're not slow learners we're quick forgetters or something like that how do you handle that every day to kind of keep it 
So uh, you mean life on life's terms, or like like? Well, like you know, we build this list of things that we're doing and yeah. being, and, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like how do you keep it all sort of organized and simple? In a, in a, what do they say? Wear like a loose garment. Shirt, garment. Yeah. yeah. How do you do that every day? What do you do? So the question is, how do you keep when life on life's terms is so chaotic and everything, and our heads are so chaotic? How do I keep? How do I keep it simple? And on the good days, I you know. I write down a list that says 4HP in the beginning of the list. And then I write down a plethora of things. And, you know, when I'm in my disease, I'll look at the list at the end of the day and I'll beat the hell out of myself for not doing it all. You know, but more times than not, when I make the list and get it out of my head, and at the end of the day, I look at it, I do most of that stuff. But the trick is, it's just for me to get it out of my head. And then I usually commit it to my sponsor, let my sponsor know what's going on. And, uh, and I take an inventory on a nightly basis, real simple, you know, five-minute inventory. And that just helps, keeps me to breathe and kind of keep it simple. But sometimes, you know, life is overwhelming, you know. And this tells me it's overwhelming. I always tell a guy that I sponsor, he says, oh, I don't have enough time. And I said, that's bullshit. Because in God's world, there's more than enough time. In your world, there's not enough time. Great paragraph in the in the big book it talks about we relax we take it easy you know we don't run the show like we did before we got abstinent and uh, and it all works out so i just need to be reminded your question helped to remind me of that thank you for the question yes ma'am how often are you talking to people in your own community is it daily weekly monthly sort of thing i talk uh daily on people in my OA community. We have that thing called the party line. So that's how I start my day. Um, and I talk to my sponsor on a daily basis, whether he wants me or not. And uh, when he's on skiing vacations, I uh, take a picture of my inventory and I mail him a little reading of the day and stuff. And then I ask him to give me a mantra, you know, for the day that kind of centers me and calms me down. And so, yeah, but quite often, on a daily basis. I'll give you my number. You're welcome to call me. It really helps me. Probably more than it helps you, or at least as much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for your least favorite. Uh How do you do deal with, and how do you deal with it, uh, regret for past inactions? Not necessarily what you did towards others, but maybe something you didn't do for yourself that you may regret. Uh, I don't know. My grandmother uh, left $35,000 uh, she held on to that money. It was her life savings. And I'd always yell at my dad, let's invest it, dad. And he says, no, I'm living off of this money. I'm going to keep it. And then when he died, I took the $35,000 before program and I gave it to my ex-brother-in-law. And I said, I know you can make me money. Don't worry about it. And, and I never saw that money. And, uh, and my grandmother worked hard for that money and uh, to save it and keep it in the family. So... I don't know. Um, I don't know if you guys have kids or you have any student loans. I got me a nice $35,000 Parent PLUS loan so that my kid could live on campus, right? And I've been bitching and complaining about having to pay it back all this time and stuff. And now I have enough money in the bank to pay the damn thing off and not to, to save all that interest that they charge you. And, um, but I don't want to do it. First of all, it feels good to have that money in the bank. Second of all, you know, Biden, you know, might forgive some of the loans, so I don't want to pay it back. And then, you know, in a few months, he's so I'm waiting to the last minute. But oh my God, you know, my daughter lived on a beautiful campus, 
and she went through the college experience and maybe that's an action that I took that my grandmother in heaven is, will forgive me, you know, so that I can make my life, my daughter's life a little bit easier. So that's the, the first thing that came to mind. And, uh, you know, an action that I can take that uh, will make me feel better about myself when I, when I fucked up. Because I, I screw up a lot. Even cussing on the, on the tape. Sorry about that. <laughs> Kathy. So what are some of the challenges that you're working on now? Kind of the what? What are, the what are some of your biggest challenges? Challenges. All right. So I, before I got hit by a car and broke my back 26 years ago and almost died, and the lady that got hit with me did die, we were both going to, to a meeting. We were on the sidewalk and we got hit by a car. My big challenges were procrastination and disorganization, right? And then I nearly lost my life. And then I started to love my wife and my kids and life in general. And I was so spiritual. That lasts about 10 days. <laughs> and then, you know, the character defects that I'm going to work on and all this stuff. And so they're all come out. And it's still procrastination and disorganization. You know, when I get scared, I just, I want to freeze. But with the program, I don't freeze. I keep moving like a snail, like a turtle, but I don't freeze, okay? And as far as the disorganization, you're going to help me with that, Kath, because we're going to get our numbers and you're going to help me with the decluttering. I've got a million things around my desk and stuff that's all in disorder. And we sort of started to be a yeah, mutual, let's get, let's get back on track with that. So, but anyway, if you're alive and you're well and you're healthy and, you sur- and I survived the pandemic and you've got family and people that love you and you love, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Yes? What's been, thank you, Michael, as always. What's been your experience over the years of dealing with sponsees and you talk about wanting to control them all and they don't, people frustratingly don't do what you want them to do. How did you, what's your experience been like that? Call my sponsor and uh, and tell on myself. And my sponsor reminds me that I can't get anybody abstinent and I can't get anybody, you know, drunk, keeping drunk or sober. It's not my ex. It's, my ego gets in the way. It's a God thing, you know. And uh, so that's just my experience. I mean, I have the choice to live in fear and control or to love them, you know, unconditionally. And some people, it's really hard to love unconditionally. I'm not pointing at anybody, but... But, uh, but I even... And those are the, the people that, that, that I kind of love the most, in a way, because they remind me of me. The, the sponsees that drive me the most crazy, that's, that's, that's me. And then, you know, you can't help them. But you can't, by staying abstinent and sober yourself and doing what we're doing. So. Anyway... I believe you gave me the five-minute warning, so are we about done? I'm, I'm ready. One minute, if somebody has another question. Yes? How do you keep your program fresh and not get bored? Um, I get commitments at meetings, and uh, that's the main thing. Uh, I was taught that uh, if I have, I don't plan my meeting life around my, my social life. I plan my social life around my meetings. So when I put the program first and I have a little job to do, that keeps me coming and keeps me vulnerable and sharing with you whether I want to or not. And then, you know, uh, con- contact with my sponsor really, really helps. 
think prayer really helps as well. You know, I've been doing this for a while. I know it's fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you very much.